if you were here three weeks ago, I believe it was three weeks ago, we were talking, or we had a sermon on finishing well. Maybe you remember that. Now, this sermon follows up on that one, but there's been two weeks between. We've had uh, uh, Mother's Day and we've had our church anniversary. So we continue the thought and we'll continue it into next week as well, Lord willing. This morning's thought is on regrets in retrospect. Finishing well. Now, at the end of it all, when life's done... Can you think of some regrets you might have? Have you ever done something that you afterward regretted that you did? I think we all have, and we all will. We're we're sinners, saved sinners. And at times we do sin and do the wrong thing. In Proverbs 22 and verse 3, we read, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. You see, if you don't look ahead, you could well end in the ditch. And the prudent man sees some things coming. A prudent man will think of eternity, think of facing the Lord. After we die, we're right in his presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And there we have to, and will in the, on the future judgment day, answer to our Lord. I've written here, a wise man learns at another man's mistakes and a fool learns at his own. And we ought to look at the scripture and see the examples that are given, many of them, about men who made the wrong decision and died regretfully <laughs> or with many regrets. Would you like to get to the end of your life and have no, or let's say there will be no one with no regrets, (laughs) but there will be those with few regrets or there will be those with many regrets. Let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us through his word as we think on these thoughts and use many illustrations from scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do give us or have given us your word that guides us on this path of life, this winding path that we walk. Lord, Lord, I pray that we'd be on the straight and narrow and we would see the end of the matter. We would see the end of our lives and envision there the standing before yourself and giving an account of our life. Yes, our sins have been forgiven, washed in the blood of the Lamb, But, Lord, there are those that things that we do that are good and those things we do are not good in our service for you. And I pray that we would be able to aim at living without regrets in eternity, living without regrets on that judgment day. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. If there's someone here that's not saved, has not become one of your children by faith in Jesus Christ, that today may be the day that they start and that they wouldn't get into eternity with a great regret regret of rejecting the salvation so freely offered. Lord, I pray that you'll be with uh, brethren that aren't here today because they're not well and there are a few faces missing. We pray for them 
strengthen them, encourage them and lift them up, particularly for Brother Brunken, that you would strengthen him. Lord, we thank you for his faith. We thank you for his example of many decades, years in the church here. Lord, we, we do thank you for Mr. and Mrs. Brunken and Lord, that they, when they got saved, things changed. And Lord, they headed toward heaven and they had a different motive for living. And I pray that you'd strengthen him at this time in the hospital there. Lord, bless us as we read and understand and study your word today. For your glory and praise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> One of the men that wrote much of the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. And on several occasions, he penned the regrets that he had. These things were not far from his thinking at all times because it came, it came up about six times that I found of his regret. In Acts chapter 8, and we won't turn to these, but in Acts 8, eight verses 1 to 4, there he talked about being standing there and consenting unto the death of Stephen, the first martyr of the church. This was on his mind. This was a, a regret that he had. Yes, he'd been forgiven of this, but he could not forget that occasion of, of being there and that happening. He said in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 and 21, that he destroyed the church at Jerusalem. He did evil there among the brethren at Jerusalem. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he said he wasted the church. He wasted the church. He persecuted the church, in other words, to death. And uh, when somebody says today they wasted somebody, that means they killed somebody. And that's what he did in the church. And can you imagine the regret? This is why he said of himself, I'm the chiefest of sinners. I had all the Bible. I knew the Old Testament off by heart. I knew the principles of it. But yet I did that. And what a great regret that was he had. And even the people, after he'd become a Christian, even the believers said, you know, Saul's going to preach to us. What? Saul? We know about him. We know what he's done. His testimony of persecution went before him. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 8 to 10, he there said he persecuted the church. In Ephesians 3, 8, there is where he said, I'm less than the least of all saints. And in Acts 22, and verse 19 to 21, he imprisoned and beat the believers. So this man had many regrets. I don't think any of us here will, will, would have those regrets that we've done to other people. We could read the end of his life because he got saved, he was forgiven, he got cleansed from these sins. And as we shared three weeks ago from 2 Timothy 4, verses 5 to 8, it reads here, I am now ready to be offered. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. You see, at the end of it, he could say, from that point on, when I become a Christian, things changed. <laughs> All those things are under the blood. He then had to face the people in heaven that went there because he persecuted them <laughs> and slew them or consented to their death. In Acts 20, verse 24, he said, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify 
the gospel of the grace of God. And so when he got saved, things changed. <laughs> and he went out preaching the faith that he once destroyed. He went out proclaiming the truth. You can follow your outline there as you've got that in the bulletin. Uh, <clears throat> thinking of regrets in retrospect. Let's think of a few things that maybe we've done in the past. Decisions we've made, first of all. In Ecclesiastics chapter 11 and verse 9. That verse we share with young people often and we need to be reminded of it ourselves. <clears throat> 11 and verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Remember when you make decisions that God is going to bring you into judgment for those decisions made. You have to face God. Every man will. Saved and unsaved, but as Christians, we're speaking to Christians today, we will face God. What about those decisions we made when we were a teenager? You see, some of those decisions when we haven't the wisdom, that we haven't the backing of life, and experiences of life, and we make those decisions that affect us right for the rest of our life. Can you think of some decisions you'd rather change now, but it's too late to change? You've got to live with those. Wouldn't it be a, a much wiser thing to have learnt the way of the Lord early and not to have made those decisions and have to live with the regret of those decisions? The friends, the career. Uh, the <laughs> I think of young men, the money wasted in early life. What, is young, what do young men mostly waste their money on? That's it. <laughs> it is. Vehicles. <laughs> One after the other. And, and, and the, the, you know, young men, you're going to get, Lord willing, you get married one day. <laughs> and then what do you have to do? Or what should you be looking and planning toward doing? Providing, yeah, providing for family, and you've wasted it when you could have been storing that up for a, a house or a, you know, a, a family car, <laughs> a grandpa car, you know, that's what my, <laughs> one of my kids says. Ah, <laughs> oh, decisions we make. Have you regretted some of those you've made? <laughs> if I could only have that time over again, to do it right. Huh? You know, time comes as something we can spend. Every day is a gift from God. We spend it wisely or foolishly. How are you spending that time? Because it doesn't come back. You can't change. Our desires is another area we'll look at there. It's in the bulletin. I fulfilled that which was God's desire for my heart. Or let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. Ephesians 2 and verse 3. This is the opposite to doing what God wants and doing what I wanted in my life. Ephesians 2, 3. Among whom we also, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. This was before we were Christians. In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, 
and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Before we were saved, we made decisions. We had desires, and we just went out and filled those desire, fulfilled those desires like there was no tomorrow, like there was no accounting for what we were doing. And we live and look back and say, I wished I had not done that. Hey, young people, and really it's directed toward young people, but it's for all of us as we look back and think of what we could have done. Don't fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The old man, the natural man, does things that the devil wants us to do. He wants to destroy your life from the start. He doesn't want you to get out of the starting blocks in life. And he'll bring desires your way and you will gratefully fulfill them. But there is the other. Instead, we should desire what First Peter 2.2 tells us. Desire the sincere milk of the word. Have we memorized it? Hide God's word in your heart that I might not sin against him. Desire that sincere milk of the word. Devour it, read it, memorize it, meditate upon it. Hebrews 11.16 Desire a better country like Abraham. He had desires and he set his desires on the eternal city, heavenly Jerusalem so that he wouldn't live with regrets later on in life. He desired a better country. Folks, get that in your mind. Get that in your focus. Remember that we will be out of here and will be in eternity somewhere. And if you're a Christian, yes, you'll be in the heavenly city. But will you, will you be on the top floor or the bottom? I don't know. <laughs> there is a reward for those that desire and all their life set their affections on that. You know? How you have some things that you desire in life, you know. A car, let's go back to the car thing. <laughs> I, I like a car, and you save for it, and you scrimp for it, and you, you know, you put all of it aside, or a house, or something like that. And then when you've got it, it satisfies. God will satisfy us greatly those who desire a better country. Hey, hey, if this world is all there is, it's not very good, is it? Uh, there's a much better country coming. For those that believe in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 5.2, here Paul des said, Desired to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Don't you groan sometimes? And it talks about groaning in that, those verses there. For something better than this mortal life. Our house which is from heaven. I praise God one day we'll have it. We won't be tempted to sin anymore. We won't sin anymore. And uh, Psalm 19.10 and 27.4. One thing have I desired, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And there the Jewish people will go up to Jerusalem. <laughs> Love to go up to Jerusalem, up to the house of the Lord, up to the temple of God, that they might be there where the Lord's presence was, literally was, when they were walking right with him. What about your desires? Are you fulfilling what you want or what God wants? Departures. We could have regrets in our departures and digressions. You, know, <clears throat> we, you, you go travelling somewhere and your wife's sitting there and you go out and you don't take a map and you're on the road and uh, your wife says, I think we're on the wrong road, honey. No, we're on the right. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> men, men, very few times... Stop for instructions. 
end up in a bush track somewhere. Even the GPS will take you there at times. <laughs> but a departure off the track, off the road. And you know, God's set a path for our life. We were on the broad road that leads to destruction. We're on the narrow road that leads to life now. Go to the book and find the instructions as you walk the road of life. Don't depart from the road of life. Don't turn aside. You know, Israel, what were they always doing? Turning aside from serving the law. Over and over again. Departing from the scripture. Isn't that a thing of today? Where the scripture, as according to 2 Timothy 3.16, it's good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Let's stick to the truth. Let's stick to the word. Let's stick to the scriptures. Don't depart. Don't go aside from them, particularly in our day when so many are going off the rails, scripturally speaking. The standards of God's word. I know we can depart from them. God's set them for us. Find them in the scriptures. Sound advice. Like King Rehoboam. He went to the young people and he, he went to the old people and they said, no, ease the taxes. Hey, that sounds familiar, doesn't it, with last week's election? And the, the young people said, no, increase the taxes. And uh, the vote came down to the young people won in that day and Rehoboam increased and he had problems. For doing that, he didn't take sound advice. Listen to advice. Listen to those who you respect as Christians and their advice they give you. When you ask it, receive it. Don't reject it. Listen to the Spirit's direction. Don't depart from the Spirit's direction. Know the will of God. Ephesians chapter 5, just before we, Paul launches there into talking about the, the family, he, he there said, you know, know the will of God. We can know the will of God in the Spirit's direction from the Scriptures. Second Corinthians 6, as we've written that down there in verses 14 to 18, speak about separation. Don't depart from that which is the straight and narrow road. Stick to the truth. It's light or darkness. Christ or Belial. You know, <clears throat> which one will you follow? The believer or the infidel? disobedience regrets in retrospect and thinking back will it be that day when you stand before the Lord that you'll regret disobedience where does it start starts in our heart I know but it's, it, it comes right there when we disobey mum and dad Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 what does it say young people children obey your parents Obey your parents. There's the pulpit's teaching. Obey the word of the Lord. The preaching of the truth of the word of God. Second Timothy 4.2 and Colossians 1, 28 and 29. There Paul told young Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, reprove rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and doctrine. Don't be disobedient to what God has clearly said in his word otherwise you're going to regret in retrospect and denial of authority brother tony touched on this in the morning adult sunday school class there what institutions what has god set down in order and still holds them to be the thing that we are to obey there was the three institutions that god has set 
church, government, and family. Church, government, and family. In the <clears throat> expansion of the family, Paul spoke of that in Ephesians 5, verse 18, right into chapter 6. And the order that is laid down there. You know, <clears throat> the husband is the head of the family, of the head of the wife. The children are subject to the parents. And, uh, and all to be done in Christian reasonableness. As Paul said, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. Then there's the government. Are we told today in the New Testament to listen to and obey the government? And Tony touched on that. Yes, we are. We are told to do that. And our first Peter. Let's just read one of these. I know I'm skipping over a lot of ground today, but we're thinking of the regrets we may have in retrospect when we stand before the Lord. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. In the Lord's day, who was the governing body? Who was the government? <laughs> Rome. A foreign government. And uh, <clears throat> should we pay taxes? What did the Lord say? <laughs> Whose image is that? <laughs> it's Caesar's image. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. First Peter chapter 2, verse 13, we read this. And I think we need to be reminded because we live in a rebellious age. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. That's why they're there for, huh? So, for so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Protesters, here, there and everywhere. Protesters in Melbourne talking about what's happening way out the other end in Queensland. <laughs> Laying down in the street this week in Melbourne. Ah, <clears throat> God does not honour those sort of actions nor the people that bring them forth. Romans 13, we won't turn there. That speaks about the government and the politicians. God has put them there to keep order in society and keep the countries running. Look at the countries where the people have rebelled against the government. And look at the mess they're in, financially, physically, uh, morally. They're down the tube, you could say where there is order. You, know, you go to some of these countries and try to drive on the roads where there's disorder. You, you put your life in your hands <laughs> when you go to those places. You, all you do is sit on your horn. I've got the right of way because I've got a louder horn. I need the Mack truck with the air horn. <laughs> you know, they do that, the young people on the roads. <laughs> I'm coming through and get out of the way because I've got the right of way. Uh, disorder because there's no obedience to authority. Uh, even in Israel, <laughs> the, 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 the most busiest section I've ever seen, intersection, was a roundabout in the center of Nazareth. I'd never seen it. Every street was blocked going out and everyone was blowing their horn. And I thought, this is crazy. <laughs> Just give way to the right and you'll all get through this roundabout. <laughs> Obey the government. The rules are set there for our well-being, for our good and for order. What about the church? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> this is the institution. This is what God has ordained 
in spiritual matters to reach out to the world and he is building the church, is he not? He is building the church and he, he will complete the church one day when, you know, when <clears throat> Romans eleven twenty five, when the fullness of the Gentiles are come in and then he'll deal with the Jews. But in this time, he is building the church and we ought to respect those that have that. And Tony, you touched on this this morning. He's, he's, he's left. <laughs> he may be gone out for a drink. It's pretty hot in here, isn't it? I turned the heater down. I should have turned it right off. Tim, thanks. <coughs> Do you want the air conditioner on? No. <laughs> well, those from Queensland will complain. <coughs> Chapter 13 and verse 7. Remember them who have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. You see, people say, well, yeah, I've got freedom, I've got uh, Christian liberty. <laughs> but we are, if we disobey the word of God, we don't have the liberty to do that. And we need to obey the word that is preached and proclaimed. In verse 17, it says it again. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account and that they may do it with joy and not with grief for that is unprofitable for you. If the pastor has to give an account for people that do not do that which is right spiritually speaking, he has to be honest. There's no other way but to be honest as you stand before the Lord. And it should be here. But up there, when we give an account, he can see right through everything that's said and done. And if he has to give an account with grief, it's not going to be profitable for you. Consider that. Don't overstep the mark. You will be held accountable for it. And you will have great regrets that you did do that and didn't obey. Now, Hey, there are those that will take in, in spiritual authority that will overstep the mark too. Now, lord it over. The Bible says for the leaders not to lord it over the people. Isn't that scriptural? And that's what, there is the balance to be had there. So don't deny the authorities that God has put into place. He's building the body. He's building the bride. He's building the church. This is what he is interested in today, in building the church. That might be the Lord Jesus' bride for eternity. And that's what God is interested in. And that's what God is working through today, building the church. Don't cause divisions and disputes and discords and dissimulations. Because God's blessing is not upon those that do so. Now, let's consider, we've, got, we've still got, how did we get so much time today? That's good. Let's consider some of those that will did and have got regrets. Let's go back to the book of Genesis. No, let's go to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8. And this poor old man's brought up over and over again as a man that would live with regrets. 
In verse 7 of chapter 2, And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day unto day with their unlawful deeds. Remember, he separated from Abraham, his uncle, because there was, they had so many cows and whatever, oxen and so between them, that they couldn't stay in the same place. They were eating the place out. And so Abraham said, you make your choice, Lot. And he chose to go down to the well-watered plains of the Jordan River. And as he lived there, things got worse and worse, worse and worse in Sodom and Gomorrah morally. And we know that God rained fire and brimstone. But Lot, es- Lot got out of Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? Just. <laughs> With two daughters, and that's all. He went down full, and he came out empty. Now, what would you think if you were Lot up in Zoar, which is on the western side, as you're going down into the, into the valley toward the Salt Sea, toward the Dead Sea, you stop halfway about going down, and there, there's a track that goes over to Zoar, where it used to be. And it's just desolate. What would you think if you were Lot in Zoar, and everything's gone? You've got two daughters, your family's gone, they've all been burnt up, and everything you had is burnt up. Wouldn't you say, I think I've done something wrong. (laughs) I think God's blessing is not on my life. And that's where Lot ended up. He had great regrets. And then he had two children from his own daughter's incest that become the enemies of Israel over where Jordan is presently. Moab and Edom. What a situation to find yourself in at the end of your life with great regrets. Lot was one that regretted. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. He should never have gone down there to start with. It might have been desolate or drier where Abraham was, but it would have been better to go further west, toward Gaza even, than to go down to Sodom and Gomorrah. But in Hebrews 12 and verse 16, here's another one that lived with regrets at the end of his life. But too late to change your mind. It's all been said and done and you've done it wrong. Well, chapter 12, verse 16, we read this. Well, let's start with verse 15. And Troy read this this morning. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and by it many be defiled. So he's thinking of bitterness. Getting to the end of life and being very bitter about what's all happened in life. And then he brings up the illustration of Esau. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. He was one of those impulsive people that said, give me pottage or I die, what's the use of my birthright? Here, have it. Just gave it away for tuppence. Sold his birthright and lived with regret. And folks, we could sell our birthright too. (laughs) We can say, well, I'm going to have my fling in life and I'm going to do as I please. It's my life, I'll spend it the way I want. Or we could say... God owns me. I am not my own. I am brought with a price. Therefore, I'm going to glorify him in my body. Esau did the first. I'm going to do what I want, and I want it now. And he did. He he lived with the regret 
of selling his birthright and also Jacob stealing his birthright <laughs> in Genesis twenty-seven thirty-four. So he lost out both ways. Afterward, in verse 17, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Oh, he wept over this matter. Oh, if only I could change it now, but he couldn't change it. Never get to the point in your life where that happens to you. Make wise decisions so it doesn't happen to you. A regretful man, Lot Esau. We could think of Asphah, who was a little wiser in Psalm 73, and we won't turn there, but he said, I almost went the way of sinners. When I looked at the sinful people, they seemed to be blessed. They seemed to have children. They seemed to have cows and places and buildings. But then he said, I considered their end. Before he made the decision to go the wrong way, he considered the end of the sinner. And he, he said, no, I'm going to stick close to the Lord. <laughs> he remembered the end, Psalm 73, 17. Imagine Agrippa. In Acts chapter 26 and 28, he said to the Apostle Paul, what did he say? You re remember it. Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Almost. But not altogether. How many people are out in eternity now with that regret? You have talked to them. I have talked to them. I can remember talking to unsaved people where they say, yes, I know what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. <coughs> I need to do that. But one I remember particularly said, <coughs> go your way. There's more, uh, there's better people than me that you can talk to. <laughs> recognise he was a sinner. Recognise he needed salvation. I remember sitting on the log where it was, right in the corner of a paddock, and talking to him for some hours. And at the conclusion, he said, no, nah, go to someone that deserves salvation. I said, but you're the, you're the one. You realise you need it. You realise you've sinned. What a shame. I don't know if he's still with us on earth or not, but almost persuaded to become a Christian. Go your way. Another day, I will, I will, I will seek the Lord. And you don't know that you've got tomorrow. Get saved today. Don't be an Agrippa and say almost, but in hell for eternity. Eternal regrets. How many are there now that they heard it and they said no, and now they think back to that occasion? Every moment of every time, not day, will eternity in hell. Christians, imagine standing before the Lord on the beamer seat judgment, as he gathers all Christians before him with some lame excuse, where God has challenged you to do some service for him and you've said no. You know you're going to live with regrets when you stand before the Lord. You say, but we'll be in heaven, yeah. Good and bad, it talks about there, that will be brought up in the judgment of the believer. In John's epistle, 2 John, verse 8, it reads, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full 
reward. John said you can lose or you can have a full one. That's what the Bible says. As you think now of your past life, have you rebelled? Have you obeyed? Are you walking the way of blessing and God's will or not? Because reward day is coming. Mine's closer than some of you. You're closer to some of you than me. We don't know how soon it will be before we stand before the Lord. Will you have regrets then? Read First Corinthians chapter 3 and, and through those verses, I think it's 12 and following. Will you have a reward or will you not? You know, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. You can hear the Lord say that to those. And have a full reward. The ten talented man, the what five pound man, the doubled what they had been given. They are blessed as they enter into the Lord's presence. They, are, they enter there in Second Peter 1 that we considered three weeks ago with joy. And imagine the joy of entering heaven and hearing the Lord say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Wherefore, the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For in, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. An abundant entrance into heaven can be every person's. You know, Paul had an abundant entrance, even though he'd messed up early in his life and had regrets. He got saved, he got on the track, he got on the Lord's work and his will for his life and laboured fervently to the end of his life. And he could say, well, I've finished my course, let me go. I'm going to go into his presence. <clears throat> what about you? What about me? Have we walked in the way of the Lord? When Solomon was down here on planet Earth, what book did he write that showed that he was a wise man? The books, the, the, the Proverbs. What book in the Bible is a record of Solomon's sad regrets when he got to the end of his life? Ecclesiastics. You have a read of both of them. And you wouldn't believe almost that this is not the same man that wrote this. Because he lived with the regrets of what he had done. And now he was thinking about it. And that's why he said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Why? Because he had not done what God bid him to do. I went through and checked a few of these things out. The labour under the sun. <laughs> the witty inventions of chapter 1, verse 9 and 13 that he had invented Pleasure, laughter and myrrh in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastics, verse 1 and 2. Drinking of wine, chapter 2, verse 3. Houses, lands and farms, chapter 2, verses 4 through to 7. Here's the one that I'm interested in. He even built dams. <laughs> in chapter 2, in verse 6, it says he built water storage places. And there's still some of them there in Israel. And vanity of vanities, because that didn't satisfy. Gold, silver and riches, chapter 2 and verse 8 and chapter 5, verse 10 to 11. Musical instruments to sing on, chapter 2 and or sing with, chapter 2 and verse 8. 
having 700 wives and 300 concubines. That satisfy him? Vanity of vanities. God has assigned and changed that. <laughs> we know one wife or life. And 1 Kings chapter 11 speaks about that. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Let's not get to the end of life like Solomon say that. Realising that he had done things he shouldn't have done, said things he shouldn't have done, mostly done things. He had everything at his disposal to do the right thing, but he went and chose to do that. Suggestions to reduce regret, and this will just go through quickly. Labour not to be rich. James chapter 2 and verse 5. Labour not to be rich. Remember the rich young ruler? And folks, I've seen Christians that have gotten rich. They've laboured to be rich and that's what their goal is. Are they content? No. No. <laughs> Having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Labour not to be renowned. <laughs> that is to be somebody. People that will write about you and write a book or something. Labour not to be renowned. We ought to labour that the Lord be renowned. <laughs> he re be remembered from our lives, not us. Labour not to be respected, Matthew 23 and verse 5. All their works they do to be seen of men. They want men to praise, to praise them. That's the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Labour not to be reverenced. And this is not a good one. But in Matthew 23 and verse 7, they like to be called Rabbi, Rabbi. Hey, <laughs> go to Israel today. Do you find those people still there? Yep, in full force. And they've all, you know, I've got this rabbi and these other group have got that rabbi and, and they've got their yeshiva schools and they've got them all, and they're studying up their doctrines. Get back to the book. Get into the word, what does it say? Labor not to be reverenced. Holy and reverent is his name. Psalm 111 and verse 9. Let's labour that the Lord Jesus' name might be exalted in the earth and through our life. What is the legacy that you're leaving, your family, your friends? One of faith or one of folly? Are you toward the end of your life and there's all those things you regret? You know, God, God can forgive and can change course now. If you're younger, you've got your life ahead of you. Don't get to the end of your life. Live with eternity's values in view right from the start, from when you're born again, from when you get saved. And, the end, and it will be well with you at the end. Where are you going to be spend, spent and spend your life and your energies? One day, standing before the Lord as we keep bringing that up, Will you be ashamed before him at his coming? Or will you be thankful that he has come? And, so, and, and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word that gives us a multitude of examples of those that lived for the glory of the Lord and those that lived for themselves. And the regret that they that live for themselves had. Lord, it's repeated over and over again to, 
to warn us and to guide us on this, in this treacherous path of life. That when all is said and done, <clears throat> it might not be us that is lifted up, but the Lord Jesus himself. And he will be pleased with our service rendered for him. He will be pleased with how we've spent and spend our lives. Oh God, that each, each of us would spend and be spent for him. And Heavenly Father, if there be an Agrippa here today who says, almost I have been persuaded to become a Christian, but I haven't. May today be the day of their salvation, the beginning of a new life to walk with the Lord Jesus. And like Paul started and lived without regrets from that point on, but lived to exalt his master, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.